Alright, we are continuing our series, Studying the Life of King David, called Having a Heart Like God with a Life Like Mine. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Literally what that means was, David was a man whose heart was inclined toward God. His number one priority, his, his greatest passion, was God. So what we've been doing is we've been going through his life and certain events in his life, studying them, trying to find out what does that kind of a heart look like so that we can be like that. And we, we began with the very first lesson by realizing that David was just a normal guy like all the rest of us. So it is possible for us to have a heart like this because he's just a normal person like we are. So we won't go back over everything we've studied up to this point, but today we're going to talk about David walking with God. You know, we, we did a series some time ago through the book of 1 John on how to walk with God in everyday life. How to make our Christian life practical every day. You know, living for God and, and serving God is not some ritualistic, religious experience that just happens for a couple hours on Sunday morning every week. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of living that is very practical and very down-to-earth and takes place every day. And we studied a lot of that when we went through the book of 1 John. Today, we're going to look at just basically two things about the life of David that is described for us in 1 Kings chapter 11 that I believe sum up for us what it means to walk with God. And we're going to look at these two things, and then we'll be done today, okay? Let's start 1 Kings chapter 11. Verse number 1. The Bible says King Solomon, which, by the way, I hope everybody knows this was David's son. Son, by the way, born from Bathsheba, who he committed adultery with, had her husband murdered. They had a baby that died. And then because of David's confession, and by the way, next week um, and in the weeks following, we're actually going to begin to look at that. Next week, We'll talk about David's passion for God's work. Then we're going to look at David's sin. And our very last lesson will be David's confession and restoration. And I will tell you this. That's one we all need because we all sin. And to see what God did with the life of David is such an encouragement to let us know that he'll do the same thing with us. And it's all part of having a heart like God. It's just part of life. So David... After his son died, he and Bathsheba had another son, and that son was Solomon. So God blessed them. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them. Why? Because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. Now, what's happening here is God is describing for us the life of King Solomon. King Solomon was a wonderful man. King Solomon was a great king. 
But later in his life, because he disobeyed one simple command of God and perpetuated it, he refused to repent and correct it. He kept perpetuating it to the tune of 700 wives and 300 concubines. It caused problems in his later life. Okay? Now, what I want us to see, though, is what God tells us about his father David relative to Solomon. Let's keep going. Verse 4. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. The next phrase. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his father, had been. You know, I've, I've noticed that I've done this study. David is called a man after God's own heart. Nobody else in the Bible is called that. Not King Saul, not Solomon, not Paul, not Peter, none of these people. David is the only one who was described as a man after God's own heart. Now, does that mean that all these other people were, were necessarily dirty, rotten, bad people? Not necessarily. But there was something about David especially when you compare him to the people who were his contemporaries. Saul, um, Solomon, his son, the kings that surrounded him, the priests that were around him. There's always, there seems to be something that the Bible says, David was like this, but these people weren't. Well, these two things are two of those things. The first one is found in verse 4, where it says that Solomon's heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, like David, his father's heart was. So first of all, David's heart was fully devoted to God. In a minute, we're going to discuss that and learn more about what that means. Let's keep going, though. Verse 5. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Verse 6. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord, here it is. Here's the second characteristic. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. So we're talking today about David walks with God. Well, the two things that I believe the Bible describes about David that sum up for us what it meant for David to walk with God are two things, by the way, all of us can have true of our life. They're very simple. Number one, we can be fully devoted to the Lord and we can follow Him completely. That is the essence of walking with God in our everyday life. I'm fully devoted to Him and I follow Him completely. Now, that all sounds great, but what does it mean? What does it mean to be fully devoted to God and to follow Him completely? For example, does following Him completely mean I never do anything wrong? Well, of course not. If it does, then it's impossible for us to do that. So what does it mean? Well, let's dig into these two things real quick and find out exactly what God is talking about. Characteristic number one, David walked with God because he was a man who was fully devoted to the Lord. Now, I found three things about David's life that I believe describe what it means to be fully devoted to the Lord. Let me give you these three things. Number one, it means to be sensitive to sin. Now, that's a pretty important thing because we're all going to sin. 
completely following God and being fully devoted doesn't mean we don't sin. We're human. We have a sin nature. Paul told us if we think that sin is not present with us, then we're crazy. John wrote about it in 1 John chapter 1. He said, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We all have a sin nature. We all have that part of our life that is bent towards sin. The Bible calls it our fleshly desire, our flesh, our old nature. It's referred to as the Adamic nature, what we inherited from Adam. But we all got it. That's why we struggle with sin. And everybody does. I mean, the moment that one of you gets in a place where you don't sin no more, please come and, and let me know because I want to meet you. Because that means you have been glorified. And I want to know how come you got glorified and I didn't. Okay? So, and I don't think we all know. We talk about this all the time. This is real Christianity. Real Christianity has to learn to deal with sin because we all do it. Okay? You, you can't ignore it. You can't act like it doesn't happen. You can't run around trying to make people think you never sin. That's called hypocrisy. And, and that's not real Christianity. So, the Bible says that he was sensitive to sin. Now, let me give you two passages of Scripture that I believe teach this. The first one is found in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 1 through 7. So let's turn back there real quick. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 1 through 7. We're not going to read all the story. Let me tell you what's happening. I'm going to read one verse to you. This is where God gave David the opportunity in the desert of En Gedi when Saul was cooped up in a cave. David, while he was asleep, was given the opportunity to kill Saul. Now, you need to understand what's going on. Saul is jealous. We learned that last week. Saul is jealous of David. He's chastening trying to kill him. He's throwing a spear at him while he's playing his harp. He tried to kill him. So he, Saul don't like David. He wants him dead. Here's a perfect opportunity for David to remove that threat, to totally annihilate this problem. Saul's asleep. David's standing over him. He can kill him. Instead, what does he do? Well, his conscience wouldn't let him kill him, so he cuts off a piece of material from his garment. I mean, no harm, no foul. I mean, how can that be a sin? I mean, come on. I mean, that, he didn't kill nobody. He didn't even hurt him physically. The truth is, if he didn't point it out, Saul may have not even recognized it. But I want you to notice what happens. Verse number 4, 1 Samuel 24. The man said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hand for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Look at verse 5. Afterward, David was conscious stricken. That means he was convicted in his heart for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul, and Saul left the cave and went his way. David, 
aren't you being just a little oversensitive? I mean, come on. The dude tried to kill you. And he's going to try again. You got a chance to take him out. Take him out. Nobody's going to blame you. I mean, you're self-defense. You're just protecting yourself. Nah, I can't do that. I just can't. I'll tell you what. Compromise. I'll cut off a piece of his robe. Just to let him know I could have if I wanted to. David was conscious stricken. He was convicted because he cut off a piece of his robe. One of the things you'll find about David, if you study his life um, intently, you will find that every time David sinned, he was almost immediately stricken with guilt and would then turn and confess. He was very, very sensitive to sin. Now, what does that mean? David was very, very conscious about doing anything that disappointed or hurt God. All he did was cut off a little piece of his robe. Come on, man. That's not that big a deal. David said, to God it is. So if it's a big deal to God, it's a big deal to me. And I shouldn't have done it. And I am, I'm rebuking my men. And I am, I've changed my mind. You will not touch the Lord's anointed. Now let me ask you something. How many times in society today is our conscience to sin deadened to where it doesn't bother us? Oh, great big things bother us. But what about little bitty things? What about those little pieces of sin that are just cut off the end of the road? I mean, it's not a great big thing. It, it can't be that big. Surely God will overlook that. David was a man after God's own heart because he was very sensitive to sin. We find another place, we won't read it, but in 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 10, David numbered the people, and the Bible says after he did, once again, uses the same terminology, he was conscience stricken, and he repented that he had done it. Okay? So what does it mean to be fully devoted to God in my heart? It means, number one, I am sensitive to sin. Anything that hurts God hurts me. Number two, he was passionate for God. I want you to take your Bible, turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And actually next week, we're going to spend a lot of time here. I just want to show you quickly what's going on in 1 Chronicles 29. You remember David had a passion to build a house for God, a temple? And of course, you know, he didn't get to do it. His son Solomon actually did it. But it was David's passion. I want you to see the heart of David in his passion for God. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, look at verse 10. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Why is David doing this? Because they took an offering, basically, 
to be able to build the temple. And the children of Israel gave so much that they had more than they needed. David was overwhelmed by all of this. But I want you to notice what David did. Notice his passion for God. David didn't say, man, I'm sure glad we had a lot of rich people here today. David immediately acknowledged, God, you've done this. I can't believe you did this. Everything, wealth, honor, blessing, strength, power, provision. God, it all comes from you. You're the one that gives all of this. And you've chosen to give it to me and to these people. Look at verse 14. Look at his attitude. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. O Lord our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things have I given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. O Lord God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, requirements, and decrees and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. I don't know any other way to try and communicate to us the passion David had for God and for His work than to just read this passage of Scripture. From reading this, can you imagine anything else in David's life that you could possibly think would be more important to him than this? The building of God's temple. Not from reading this. It sounds to me like it's all he thinks about. It sounds to me like it's all he wants to accomplish. He was passionate for God. To be fully devoted to God doesn't mean that I walk around with a big family Bible under my arm with folded hands chanting all the time. It just means I love God more than life itself. I want God's purpose in my life and the lives of others to be accomplished more than anything else in the world. And that is done through my life wherever God plants me. Doing whatever it is, God has given me the ability and the opportunity to do. And that's different for all of us. But ultimately my goal is not to be the richest man in the city. It's not to be the most exalted and decorated person at the company. My passion is that God uses my life and my influence in whatever career God puts me to see people touch for Christ. That's what it means to be fully devoted to God. Now, being fully devoted, does it mean I always have that passion 24 hours a day? Absolutely not. Remember, we still have that sin nature. Do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever think that God maybe isn't listening? I do sometimes. 
I actually sit down and have conversations with God asking Him where He is. I had one of those conversations this week. And I already know the answer. But I just need to tell Him about it. So being fully devoted to God simply means I'm sensitive to sin. I'm passionate for God. And number three, I'm willingly obedient with a proper motive. In chapter 29 of 1 Chronicles, David says something in verse 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. And all these things I have given willingly with honest intent. Now I want you to turn back to 1 Chronicles 28. Look at verses 8 and 9. It talks about the same thing. He's done it willingly, in integrity, with honest intent. Look at 1 Chronicles 28, verse number 8. So now I charge you in the sight of all Israel and of the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God. Be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart understands every motive behind the thoughts. You know what it means to be fully devoted to God? That I willingly serve God with a proper motive and the right intent of my heart. You know, in our society today, it is so easy for us to look at salespeople or or anybody, I mean, even in the religious world, and think, you know, there's some ulterior motive behind this that probably is not good for me. I have never known a society in all my life to be as skeptical about everything as our society is today. I mean, we are. We're skeptical about everything, thinking that motives of people around us are not genuine and are not with integrity. As God's children, how much more does that challenge us to make sure that everything we do has the right motive with integrity and honesty. What it means to be fully devoted to God, I'm sensitive to sin, I have a passion for God, and I just live for Him willingly and honestly with proper motives and intent. Now, everybody can do that. We're going to have to fight to stay that way because the flesh don't want to live like that. So it's a battle. But that's our goal. That's what it means to be fully devoted to God. But the second thing the Bible says about David was that he followed God completely. Now, we've already talked about this. That doesn't mean that we always do everything that's right. Because you know as well as I do, we don't. Um, I I say this all the time. If you ever want to know if Bill Crockett ever does anything wrong, just ask my wife or one of my children. Now, be willing to listen for about three hours because they'll tell you everything. I'm a plain old guy that does stupid things like everybody else does. I do. And it seems like the older I get, the worse I get at it. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting hardening of the arteries or something. I don't know. That's what my mother used to say about my dad when he would act like that. So maybe that's what I got. I don't know. But I'm human, just like you are. To follow God completely just simply means I want to. And I've listed for you three things. These three things David did. And we don't always do them perfectly. Neither did David. But these three things, this is what it means to follow God completely. Number one, 
David sought God's will in his life. He wanted to do what God wanted him to do. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 9 through 14, David is trying to get direction about where to go because he's afraid that he's going to be given up to his enemy. So he asked God, God, if I go here, will this happen? God said, yes, it will happen. So David said, all right, I won't go there. I'll go this way. Then, in 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 1, matter of fact, look at that verse real quick. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse number 1. And it's very simple. Whenever we seek God's will, sometimes God's will isn't exactly what we want it to be, but it's always God's will. 2 Samuel 2, verse 1. In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord. He asked, Shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? The Lord said, Go up. David asked, Where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. So David went up there. What does it mean to seek God's will in my life? Well, it's very simple. God, do you want me to do this? Yes, Bill, I want you to do that. Okay, then I do it. I mean, that's easy. It's not rocket science. Now, here's what makes it so hard. God, I want to do this. Is that okay? Well, not really. Now, Lord, I just want to make sure that I understand what you're saying. I want to do this. Is that okay? Is that your will for my life? And what I'm looking for is approval on my plans. That's not what David did. David said, Lord, do you want me to go here? He said, yes. All right, give me some details. Where do you want me to go? He specifically said to Hebron. The Bible said David didn't argue. David didn't question it. The Bible says he got up and he went there. Doing what God wants us to do is not rocket science. It's not always easy, but it's not rocket science. God, what do you want me to do? This. And then I just do it. Now, here's another question. How do I know what God wants me to do? Where does God talk to me? He, he doesn't talk to me audibly like He did David. So how do I know? You guys know the answer to that. How do we know what it is God wants us to do in our life? Where do we start? The Bible. Right here. God's principles will guide us for every decision we have to make. And, and I've said this a thousand times, and until God takes me to heaven, if I keep teaching you, I'll probably say it a thousand more. That's why it is so critical that we study and we know this book. This is the answer. This tells me what God wants me to do. But if I don't know what it says, that's why it becomes so difficult. So what does it mean to fully follow God completely? I just seek His will. Number two, I trust God in His power. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, remember we talked about it last week. He told Saul, I will let God deal with you for the wrong you've done, but I'm not going to touch you. I trust God to do what's right. We can look at all kinds of things in David's life that tell us he trusted God. How about Goliath? Pretty obvious he trusted God. I mean, a boy with a slingshot against a nine-foot giant with a huge spear and a shield. 
I think he had to pretty much trust God. And he was rewarded for it. So what does it mean to follow? It just means I trust him. That is not easy either. You know, whenever God puts us in situations, our family has been in many of them. We're in one right now. Where we've got to trust God and we don't have a choice. I've already tried all my tricks. None of them worked. I'm stuck. I have to trust God. You know what God says about that? Paul said, I came to a place in my life where I believed I was under the sentence of death. I knew I was going to be killed. I knew they were going to take me out and kill me. Now, they didn't. But he said, you know why God did that? So that I would have to depend on him. So that when it was over, there would be no question that God did it. You know, sometimes God puts us in those situations. That's what it means to follow God completely. I don't stop following when I get in those situations. I keep trusting. Then finally, number three, to follow God completely just simply means we obey what God says to do. We just obey His command. That's what David told Solomon his son. Make sure that you always do what God tells you to do, and God will bless you. Now, all those things are very simplistic, but they're also very doable. We don't always do everything God says. David didn't always do everything God told him to do. We're going to see that in the next few weeks. However, what we're talking about is David's heart. He was a man after God's own heart. That meant that in his heart, he was fully devoted to God and he wanted to follow God completely. And that's where all his efforts went. So, whenever you look at your life, you ask yourself, am I a Christian who is walking with God every day in my life? Just look at two basic things. Number one, am I fully devoted to Him? In every chamber of my heart, am I completely committed to God? Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I don't have lapses. But in my heart, He's the most important thing in my life. And then number two, am I following Him completely? Do I want to do His will? Do I want to obey Him? Do I want to do what He tells me to do? And do I trust Him? Doesn't mean I don't have lapses there either. But in my heart, that's what I want to do. And I promise you, if our heart has these two things, God will take care of the rest. Okay? Father, thank You that we can follow You. That we can be fully committed and devoted to You. Even though we make mistakes. And even though we fail, thank You for forgiveness. Lord, I ask that in each of our hearts we will be fully devoted and that we will follow You completely with Your help to the best of our ability. And that through that, as we walk with You one day at a time, You will use our life to affect other people for Jesus Christ. Lord, we love You. Thank You for loving us. Give us a great week. Give us courage and wisdom to make the right decisions in our life this week. In Jesus' name, amen. See you, everybody. Have a good week.